today I bring to your consideration something that the reality is it's, it's absolutely foreign to every person in this building. Now we've heard the word. We've seen pictures about the word. We've even perhaps discussed the idea of the word. But I submit that nobody here has absolutely personally experienced what I'm talking about today in the physical. I'm speaking about the concept of famine. The Encyclopedia Britannica tells us that famine is defined as severe and prolonged hunger in a substantial portion of the population of a region or country resulting in widespread and acute malnutrition and death by starvation and disease. You have to understand today that when I say the word famine, I'm not talking simply about the hunger of an individual. Anybody been hungry before? Anybody hungry now? Go ahead. In fact, when we get hungry, we know how to answer that. We simply walk over to the pantry and we search and pull out a little Debbie to curb our snack appeal. Curb that hunger. Depending on the time, we may do a little bit more than that. We may pull out the pots and the pans and begin to create a complete meal. And we use items in our pantry. If we don't have what we need, we send our husbands generally, speaking from experience, to the store. I don't cook. I just go for praise God. We go and we grab everything we need and we go home and, and we cook a meal. No big deal. Hunger, pain is solved. But I'm not talking about a little hunger today. I'm, I'm not even talking about an intense hunger. Anybody ever been working so hard that you get, couldn't get lunch? And by the time you get home, you're just starving. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't know what I'm talking about? Go on a three-day fast. I promise you, you'll figure it out. You don't even have to go on a three-day fast. You just say you're going on a three-day fast and your stomach goes... Anybody know what I'm talking about? Talking about that intense hunger, that, 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 that true hunger. But really, that's even not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about famine today. Famine occurs when you're hungry, when the stomach is growling, when you desperately want something to eat, but there's nothing in the pantry. To make matters worse, there's no food in the store. And if you could get to the store and perhaps find something the reality is in a famine it's so expensive you can't buy it anyway. The reality is famine occurs when the population of an area doesn't have enough food to feed itself. And it occurs when hunger gets hungry. That's famine today. When our hunger gets hungry. Now if you study the eons of time you'll find that famines can be caused by various different things and many times they're caused by some sort of natural disaster. A wildfire wipes out a wheat crop. Drought, floods, unseasonably cold weather, unreasonably hot weather, plant diseases, insect infestations and so forth and so on are just a few things that can cause a widespread famine. The crazy thing is the most common human cause of famine is warfare. When humans fight, famine occurs. Huh. When armies do battle, 
something happens to the nutritional value of the landscape. And the result in casualty is more than those that fall by bullets and bombs, but those that fall by famine. We all have heard of when Napoleon invaded Russia. The Russians developed a scorched earth policy. They did it again when Germany invaded in World War II. The idea during the Napoleonic Wars that when, they, when, when Napoleon invaded Russia, they, they burned everything in his path. Their thought process was that he'll not have enough provision to make the journey for his troops. And they were right. The winter caught him unprepared and his retreating army was literally tracked by the bodies that they left, not from the battle, but from famine. The sad thing is, is that winter was also extremely hard on the local Russians because in trying to save their homeland and their scorched earth policy, they substituted or they forfeited their own lives due to famine. I can go on and on today, but I need you to understand I'm talking to you about famine. I know it's hard for us to imagine here today because we have so much. Just walk into B&B here in Alto. Go to Walmart in Jacksonville or Nacogdoches and you'll all see the same thing. We'll see shelves stocked with all kinds of things. There's, just go down the cereal aisle and you will find a plethora of options for cereal. We have so much, but the reality is the World Food Program projects that this year 345.2 million people will be food insecure, their phrase, not mine, in 2023. 900,000 of those will live in famine-like conditions. Now let me put that in perspective for us today. In a nation where we can go into Walmart and buy anything and everything and we have food on, we throw away food. Okay? In a nation where we do that, there are people in this world, there's as many people, in, more people in this world starving than the population of the United States of America. The reality is, I'm talking to you today about famine. Even our Bibles talk about the idea of famine. In fact, you'll find the word 96 times in your Bible, just the word famine. We're not talking about drought, pestilence, and things that result or caused famine. We're just talking about the word famine. And literally, the word is found from the book of Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation. The Bible speaks of famine. One of the most famous personages in your Bible is a young man named Joseph. He was elevated because he interpreted a dream of Pharaoh and said, there's a famine coming. Not only did he interpret the upcoming famine, but he also revealed a way for Pharaoh to escape and the people of, Israel, or the people of Egypt to be saved and thereby the children of Israel. We know the story. We've heard the story. And that story, uh, it fuels our dreams and warms our souls. But I must turn your attention to another moment of famine, excuse me, in the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6 records that the Syrian king Benadad decided to attack the ten tribes that composed the northern kingdom of Israel. His military expedition was so successful that he was, un, he was able to attack the city of Samaria, the capital city of Israel. Unable to break through the defenses and tear down the walls, Benadad ordered the city to be placed under an intense siege. He cut off every chance that a supply chain, a supply mule chain can get through that city, that no vendors, no merchants, nothing could get through. And his goal, his goal, 
his, his, uh, the reason for doing this is he was willing to let the people starve in order to take Samaria. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 25 gives us a very bleak picture. The Bible says this, And there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for four score pieces of silver. And the fourth part of a cab of doves dung for five pieces of silver. One translation states that a donkey's head sold for 34 ounces of silver. And a cup of doves dung sold for two ounces of silver. At current silver prices, that means that they were selling donkey heads for almost 800 bucks. A donkey's head. A little cup, just a little cup of bird poop would bring almost $50, just as much as the most expensive caviar today. That was the state of Samaria. According to one commentator, he said the five pieces of silver paid for the cab of dove's dung, just a little cup of dove's dung, was the equivalent of more than a month's wages for a common laborer. That's how desperate they were for food. They were in a famine. And they were hungry. And now food they would normally not touch became delicacies that only the wealthiest in the city could afford. Because they were in a famine and they were hungry and they needed something to preserve them. I wish I could tell you the story got better, but really the reality is the story only gets worse. If you'll turn your attention to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 26, the Bible says this, that the king of Israel was passing upon the wall and there cried a woman unto him saying, Help me, O Lord. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or the wine press. I can't help you, lady. If God won't help you, I can't. There's nothing in the barn and nothing in the press. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give me thy son, that we may eat him today. And we will eat my son tomorrow. And so this is what we did. We boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give me thy son, and we may heed him. And she hid her son. They were in a famine, folks. It was such a famine that they hadn't gone from eating donkey's heads and bird poop to literally eating their own children. They had begun to devour their future because they were so hungry due to the famine. You have to understand it was not a case of a toilet paper shortage. It was not one of those things that they just ran out of a favorite ingredient. There was nothing to eat. And they ate things that they would never have consumed had they not been in a famine. But I come to tell somebody today that while the story is horrific, it does not end there. Chapter 7, verse number 3 of Second Kings tells us, that there were four leprous men at the gate in, entering in of the gate. And they said one unto another, Why sit here we until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. But if they kill us, we shall but die. You have to understand that these men were just as in a famine as those in the city. 
They were outside the walls because they were leprous. They were unclean. They were diseased. uh, And they were outcast. They survived on the mere scraps and the good intentions of people around them. And those people were eating donkeys' heads and their children. There was not food for these leprous men. But they knew the famine was just as real for us as it is for them. But they decided while the enemy is outside the walls and the famine is in the city, I refuse to stay where I am. You see, they were hungry enough to change their position in famine for the possibility of food. I've come to preach to somebody today and tell you uh, that we are in a famine tonight. It's not a physical famine of food shortages and physical starvation, but it is a famine of God's Spirit. A famine of pure, unadulterated doctrine. And it is a famine of the supernatural and the miraculous. The famine is in the city, and the enemy's outside the gates. But we've got to make up our mind and say, I refuse to sit here until I die. Something must be done. You hear me today? In the famine that you and I are experiencing, something must be done. We can't just sit idly by and expect to skate through this one. We can't just come to the house of God and do what we've always done. We've got to do something. We can't just go about it with our own normal selves. We've got to press in and do something. Hallelujah. We've got to change our position. Uh, If we are going to expect his provision, uh, we've got to do something today uh, because there is famine in the land. I've been talking a lot about doing something. But I can talk all day about projects and processes. The reality is that's not the answer. I wish I could tell you that building programs in Sunday school Contest or the answer? That's not the answer. The reality is we got to do something, but that's not the something. The something that I'm talking about hinges on one little question, one little aspect. It's simply this. How hungry are you? I said, how hungry are you? We're all in the famine. We all would like to see people get the Holy Ghost. We all would like to see the miraculous. We all would like to see something happen. But the reality is those, the difference between those that do and those that don't boils down to one little question. How hungry are you? Are you hungry enough for a move of God that you'll step out in faith and do what nobody else will do? Are you hungry enough for God that you'll make precedent, make it a priority to be in the house of God? Are you hungry enough for God that you'll sacrifice things at work to make it to the presence of Almighty God? Are you hungry enough for God that you'll push in prayer like you've never prayed before? And it doesn't matter whether it's a called prayer meeting or a personal devotion time. You're willing to say, God, I'm going to press through in the Spirit because I'm in a famine and I'm hungry for a move of God. 
Oh, I wish somebody would hear me right now. Uh, there needs to be a leprous man. I'm talking about somebody that's messed up, that's undone, that doesn't have all the answers, that says, I'm tired of my, of my state and my circumstance. Uh, I'm ready to move. It may kill me. Uh, it may destroy me. Uh, but I'd rather move and try something uh, than sit here and die of hunger. I'm too hungry uh, to sit here any longer. I refuse uh, to sit idly by. Uh, I'm in a famine, so I'm going to move. Hey, 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 hey. Are you hungry enough to fast? That's the weirdest thing I've ever asked anybody. Are you hungry enough to stop eating? That's what you got to ask yourself. That's what we got to figure out. Are we hungry enough to say, God, I'd rather put away coffee and have a move of God. I'd rather miss my meal and have a move of God. I'd rather push the plate away and have a move of God because I'm starving in a famine. Oh, hallelujah. I know not everybody's going to listen to me today. Y'all, y'all, some of y'all are going to go home and be comfortable. That's cool. I'm going to talk to the three or four of you that say you might want something a little bit deeper and say, God, I've, I'm desperate. I've got a need. I've got a sickness. I've got a lost loved one. I've got something. I've got a circumstance. I need direction. And God, I'm hungry enough in my famine to say, God, I refuse to just sit here and let life pass me by in the entering in of the city. I know the city's famine and I know the enemy's at the gate so I can't swing open the gates and let the enemy in and there's no way I can get provision on my own but God I'm hungry enough to say my present circumstance isn't going to work it's not working anymore for me so in spite of my hunger pains I'm going to push myself off the floor and I'm going to take a step in faith and I'm going to begin to walk toward a possibility of provision and I may not understand it, and I don't know the end of the, the results, but I'm hungry because I'm in a famine. Oh, you hear this preacher today in the Holy Ghost. Some of you are hungry, but you're consuming things you never would have consumed if you were if it wasn't a famine. You're looking for things that you can plug in and you can feel in your life that'll make the answer. My friend, the answer's not a donkey head and a cup of bird poop. The answer's not your future. The answer's not forfeiting your children. It's not, no, my friend, that's not the answer. The answer is when you get in a prayer closet. And let me just be old-fashioned. And you just go ahead and pray through and fast through some things. And say, God, I don't understand it, but I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing to step out because I'm hungry in a famine. Jesus, Jesus. I, I'm going to get crazy here. Y'all, y'all just bear with me for a little bit. But let me just go ahead and preach what I feel this morning. I, I can't help but believe that some of us need to quit just asking God every now and then for an answer and go ahead and say, God, I'm serious. I'm going to fast until. Well, I've never done that before. That's why you messed up. Well, that went over like a lead balloon, but we'll just keep preaching. That's okay. The reality is some things that we deal with are not going to come out simply by coming to the church and asking pastor to pray over you and asking for prayer requests on Wednesday night and getting a little 
30-second prayer done at an altar and thinking we've cut it. No, my friend, there are some things that God wants to know. How hungry are you really? I know you're in a famine. I know you can't feel me. I know you're messed up. I know you got problems. I know you got a sickness in your body. But would you just break out in prayer and fasting and, and move in faith? I, I loved it. I, I, I loved it. Sis, I, you encouraged me today, Sister Ford, when you took off today worshiping and praising God. I know the doctors are saying diagnoses are crazy. And we, we don't know what the diagnosis is yet. And they're saying it's probably this and it's probably that. But I know a God that's still in control. So I'm going to just move and just step out in faith. It looks weird, God. I don't know if it can happen. I'll tell you it can happen, but it's God wants to know. Will you step out in faith? Uh, will you trust me? Uh, will you put enough? Mm, would you put enough feet to your prayers uh, and say more than just a text? Y'all pray for me, but say, God, I'm going to pray until it breaks. Uh, I'm going to go into my prayer closet until something happens. Uh, I'm going to worship you until I feel a release. Uh, I'm going to fast until the walls come down. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to pray until. I'm going to fast until. Because I'm hungry in a famine. I could spend hours up here talking about every story in your Bible of people who are who became hungry enough for God that they did uncre- incredible, unbelievable things to walk out of their famine. I don't have time, but I'll give you a few. Genesis chapter 32, one of the most well-known stories of this is when Jacob running back home to his dad. Been gone 20 years. He lied on his way out from home. He lied to his father-in-law on the way back. He's in trouble. He's messed up. God, God's trying to pull him back into the, 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 the covenant. He's trying to get him back to where he needs to be. And, 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 and on the way back home, he hears that Esau's coming. And Esau's got 400 men with him. They're armed. That's not a welcoming party. That's a war party. And all Jacob can remember was 20 years ago, I cheated that man out of his birthright. And he's about to get even. So in an hour of desperation, he sends the kids, the wife, the wives, the, the everything. He sends it all ahead. And he spends a night in an all-night prayer meeting. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. That's what I'm going to call it. Said he was up all night wrestling with an angel. We'll call it an all-night prayer meeting. By the way, those still work. Well, that was easy. We, we don't want to do them, but they still work. They still work. And the Bible says that he wrestled with the angel. It implies an intense hand-to-hand combat in which Jacob, a man, wrestles with a celestial being And it's so much of a struggle that the Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord smites Jacob to the point that we know, reading on, that he will never walk the same way. He will forevermore walk with a limp. He's, he, Brother Alejandro, it's like a baseball injury. Getting hurt on the baseball field and those knees popping out and messing up, right? And you're like, oh, i got to go sit down. Except it never goes away from this point on. He's hurt. What would put you out of the game... The Bible says Jacob continues to wrestle. Now, if you study Genesis 32, there is, read between the lines a little bit, there is an insinuation that the pain is so great and the blow was so strong that all all Jacob could do was hold on. I'm hurting. You're going to have to hold me. 
You in the prime. That's why I went to you and not Brother Dennis. He's hurting. He's messed up. He's wounded. But he's not letting go. He's staggering under the pain. But he's not letting go under the famine. Oh, God, help us. And the angel, this angelic, supernatural being, looks at a man and says, My God, let me go. The angel of the Lord could not break Jacob's grip. Because Jacob was hungry. This is what we do. We come to church uh, and we wait until something just taps us and we think we're tapping out and so we leave. I can hit you and not get hit back. Praise God. We're friends. We just feel that tap. Oh, oh, I'm hurt. I can't do it anymore. I can't worship anymore. We got to have somebody in this house that says, no, the need's too great. I'm going to, if I, I don't care how bad the pain is. I don't care how strong it is. I'm going to hold on. God, you're going to, I'm sorry, you're not going to wrest my grip away. You're going to have to bless me. You're going to have to change some things. You're going to have to break through some things because I'm hungry and I'm in a famine. Matthew chapter 15 records that a Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus. She was not of Jewish descent. She was not of Abraham's seed. She came to Jesus hearing somehow that this carpenter from Nazareth, this Jewish rabbi, help me Holy Ghost, this carpenter from Nazareth could answer her need. She walks up to him and cries, Master, my daughter is vexed with the devil and I need you to work it out. And Jesus ignores her. He doesn't respond. He doesn't acknowledge her presence. In fact, the Bible insinuates that he walks away from her presence. And the disciples come to him and say, She keeps following us. She keeps talking to, trying to talk to you. Send her away. And finally she breaks through the crowd and says, You don't understand, Master. I need you to touch my daughter. She's vexed. I'm in a famine. I'm hungry for a miracle. I'm in need for a circumstance to be reversed. And Jesus looks down at her and says, Wait a minute. Don't you realize I'm not called to you yet? I'm called to the children. And it's not meat for me to give the, the, uh, the, 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 the food, the bread to the, the dogs when it's meant for the children. And this little Syrophoenician woman looks up at this Hebrew, this Hebrew man and says, but you don't understand. I'm starving. And Brother Porter, I don't need a loaf of bread. I just need the crumbs. I just, the dogs even know how to make a meal out of crumbs. I, I, I don't know if I can handle the loaf, but if you can just spare a few crumbs, Master, then I know, I know it'll be all right. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops in his tracks and says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Your need is met. You go back home. Your daughter is, I wish somebody would hear me right now, that say I may not can get a full sandwich. It may not be steak and lobster, but if I can, I'm going to hold on until I get the crumbs for the master's table. Hey, my friend, uh, if you're seeking the Holy Ghost, uh, don't you stop because the music stops. Uh, don't you stop because the lights turn off. Uh, seek it until. Uh, hey, if you need a miracle, uh, don't you wait until pastor prays for you. Pray until. Uh, hey, my friend, if you've got a problem in your family, would you fast uh, until? Are you hungry? Yeah. 
Luke 18 records a parable of, an, of a widow who was owed, was owed an inheritance. And the unjust judge had withheld the process to the point that she had finally gotten desperate. She, this judge was known for being unjust and trying to cut corners. But the Bible tells us in Luke 18 that she decided to do her dead level best to get what was owed her. And so she goes to the door of the unjust judge and she knocks on the door. He doesn't come to the door. He simply yells, what do you want? And she responds and he says, go away. What have I, what have I to do with you? She goes again the next day and she knocks on the door. And again, is met with the same response. Day in and day out, this little lady, this little widow lady who doesn't have much of anything but a little bit of bulldog tenacity makes up her mind and makes her way to a door of a judge who's already told her no countless times. And she continues knocking and asking, knocking and asking, knocking and asking. I bet if she knew anybody, if she had any connections, she was talking to them. If she had any friends that could have the ear of the judge, she was talking to them. Uh, she had called those that she thought could help, uh, but at the end of the day, they couldn't do anything. Uh, so she kept knocking and asking, knocking and asking, seeking the face of God, uh, seeking the face of this judge. And finally, Luke 18 tells us uh, that he finally has enough. And he says, I'm not going to do it because I'm just. I'm not going to do it because I'm righteous I'm not going to do it because I like her I'm going to do it because I'm sick and tired I'm weary of her knocking on the door Hey, let me go ahead and tell somebody here today that this man stands in this pulpit right now and preaches to you like I'm preaching to you today because of an old preacher in Carlisle, Texas that walked up to a house and knocked on the door every weekend and finally an old bald-headed man named Tom Wainwright looked at his wife and said, Hey, I'm sick and tired of that preacher knocking on our door. We at least better go once to get him off our back. I thank God Warren Poe didn't stop. I thank God he was hungry. Jesus. How hungry are you? How hungry are you? How hungry are you? Oh, if this is just a message, you can go home. But how hungry are you? Are you hungry enough to pray and tell? Are you hungry enough to come to pre-service prayer? Are you hungry enough to come to focus prayer on Tuesday? Are you hungry enough to fast? Are you hungry enough to... To, to do war in an altar call. Hey, we got to get out of this 10-minute altar call business. And we got to pray until something breaks in the spirit. How hungry are you? Stand with me all over this building. You see, famine will promote hunger until the desire for fulfillment becomes greater than any other desire. Famine gets you to a place in hunger that you're so hungry that you will do anything to be filled. Are you hearing me? So again, I ask, how hungry are you? How big is your famine? If you're not careful, if you stay in famine, you'll eat things you'll, you would have never put in your mouth. And I'll say this too for our babies that are here today and seeking the Holy Ghost and all those things. If we're not careful in famine, we'll eat 
our future. We'll devour what God meant for us to protect. Because we're in a famine and we're hungry. Famines produce chaos. Famines promote greed. Famines cause us to be deceitful with one another. Famines cause us to backbite on one another. And chew on one another. Famines cause us to destroy one another. When we should be protecting one another in the city. Famines give way to thoughts. I'll just let the doors open and let the enemy come in. Because it's so miserable here. What else can I do? Famines will cause us to compromise that which is so perfect and so holy. Because we're hungry. And we're in a famine. Or famines cause us, in spite of our hunger, to get up, shake ourselves, and start walking in faith. So if you're here today and you're in a famine, and, and, and famines, oh, famines are so many different types. We don't have time. You may be here today and you need the Holy Ghost, and you're in a famine, a spiritual famine. You don't feel the presence of God. You want the Holy Ghost. I invite you to take a step. If you're here today and you've got a circumstance in your family, your marriage, maybe with your children or your grandchildren that you can't see your way out of, you can't counsel your way out of, maybe they don't even want to talk to you. Maybe, my friend, you need to step out of a famine. Start walking in faith. What does that look like? Well, first of all, it looks like saying, God, I give you everything. And I refuse to sit here and die in my famine. If you want me to fast, God, I'll fast. If you want me to pray, I'll pray. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do it because, God, I'm hungrier. I'm hungrier than I've ever been in my life. And I want to move of the Spirit. So again, I ask you in the middle of the famine, in the middle of the problems, in the middle of the shortage, how hungry are you? I'm not giving a traditional altar call. I'm not going to tell you how long you're going to pray. This type of preaching doesn't give a quota. It may only be for one. But I will tell you right now, if you're hungry, these altars are open. And you gotta, only you can decide if you're hungry. Only you can decide if you want more. Only you can decide if you need a breakthrough in the Spirit. Only you can decide if you need the Holy Ghost. Only you can decide if you need a new anointing and a fresh touch from the Master. I can't do that. But if somebody will step out in faith and say, God, I'm hungry. The famine's real. The famine's real in my home. The famine's real in my, my family. The famine's real in my church. The family, family, famine is real in my world right now. I need a touch from God. Right? Then you need to get to an altar and say, God, I give you everything. I pour it out because I'm hungry. Hallelujah. All over this building, would you begin to lift your voice and would you begin to pray? Would you begin to lift your voice and magnify the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Right now, all over this building, God is moving. How hungry are you, church? I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus.